0: Uh, usually, I, sometimes I'll give a brief overview of the whole book. Not going to do that today. You're on a moving train. If you're a visitor, go on our website. Hope that'll hook you up. But we think you'll be encouraged because uh, all God's word is, is beautiful and active. And so um, we pray that uh, it would minister to us in the way that God desires. Last week, we were in, um, um, in the section of the book that started in chapter 25, uh, where the tabernacle, uh, this tent that basically, uh, this tent that was made, uh, that encamps, uh, encampment of Israel where God was promising to put his glory and his presence so that people could meet with him. We were talking about this, and it's being described in its construction. Uh, it's being outlined. Uh, Leon was hooking that up. Uh, we're going to be camped out there a little longer uh, talking about this uh, throughout chapter 26 and 27. Um, if you can uh, put up the tabernacle picture, uh, it's a this chapter about the tabernacle is a beautiful thing and, and I, I want us to really be asking ourselves what does God intend for us to learn? Um, a lot of times when you're reading a text like this and I want to pre- preview this by saying we're going we're gonna to read through the text and I want you guys to, uh, my prayer uh, as we've been going through this book for over, about a year uh, this is intentional. Uh, we, we are trying to do something a little unorthodox. We're, we're wanting to uh, train our minds to, to love the word. Uh, and, and train us to uh, to not stay in safe places but to, to walk through those scriptures and Here it might seem a little tedious it might seem a little tedious, but we, we really believe that you know anything uh, is worth studying if it 's in the bible so uh, so when we, and we believe that the focus here is going to really hopefully allow principles to your life to, to be like blown up for you to see even more. Let me give you a few few quick things. Um, the temple, as a, as, a, as a nutshell, was built um, uh, about 3,500 years ago. Um, you know, actually, yeah, that's the, the the tabernacle itself. And so, if you look all the way around it, you see that the the whole the the, the whole temple structure uh, and the courts, the temple courts, which is around it, was built around uh, 3,500 years ago. And, and the reason why I want to make sure we read the text is because I was thinking to myself, like, man, okay, so you have, you know, a couple of chapters on creation, you know, maybe about, I think two, actually. And then you have, uh, when discussing the tabernacle in the Bible, you have 50, 50 chapters, right? And so, man, uh, just by just the mere reality of that makes me say, man, I, I wonder if Jesus wanted to make sure that we spend time, you know what I'm saying, not blowing through the tabernacle because we all think that's the boring part, Right? Uh, and, and actually, something that's interesting to me too is that, that hit me is, is that on this side of, of Jesus post, post the cross, I think it's very interesting that we get thousand years or so to really mull over and think through uh, all, the different, all the different typologies and the foreshadowings and the, and the retellings of the story that Jesus was trying to help us understand uh, when he even developed the tabernacle structure. And, and sometimes I even wonder, you know, we can read the Bible and almost look at it like that, yeah, that tabernacle stuff is for those guys and that's cool. Jesus fulfilled all that, so now let's get to the good stuff. But when I think of all the things that, that we talk about and the things that I've even learned about what God was trying to teach us about his character and life in Christ from the tabernacle, I'm like, did they have the time to, to, to do all of that? Did they even get all of this? I don't know. Maybe they did. But my point in that, I wonder if, if God is like, actually, maybe this is a lot more for you than you think. It took seven months to build the structure, the initial time. Can you imagine? Um, heavy stuff, uh, 75 feet, you know, wide, 150 feet long. Uh, you had these poles, seven and a half inches, you know, seven and a half feet tall. Uh, what you see here, oh, you can go back to it, that's okay, thank you. Uh, What you see here is a whole courtyard structure. Uh, We'll talk more about this in the future. Uh, but I want you to notice, I wish I had my little pointer. I think we have one of those things. Uh, you, have, you have your altar of burnt offering. So the courtyard was where all the, uh, the, the, the Jews, the Hebrews could, could go into that area. And, and, and the altar of burnt offering is where you would actually, uh, they would do their offerings of all the different sacrificial offerings that we've, that we've read so far in the scriptures, okay? And then what you have uh, as you go into the tabernacle itself, where you see that open area, like there's only one way to enter in, Okay. Uh, You can only enter in in both arenas, where the courtyard and also that area. There was only one way to enter in. And only people that can go into that area where you see the labor there, which is where you would wash your hands and that the priests, the Levites, would actually clean themselves before they would enter into um, the Holy of Holies, okay? Or the holy place, as it were. Okay, so that means all the Israelites, as it were, could not enter into that place. Only the Levites could. Okay, and then what you have, you look further down, you see you have the the candle, the golden lampstand. Oh, yeah. It's on now. Boom. So this is where, so my little guy here, this is where they would actually uh, wash, and then there was only one entrance they would enter into. So this is where all the Levites could enter into this area here uh, to continue uh, different rituals. Uh, But only here, this is... um, this right here was entering into the Holy of Holies, right? And this is why Leon was talking about the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, now, this place here, only um, the high priest could enter into it, and it only entered into the place one time a year, okay? Uh, so I just want to give you a little snapshot of that, and I want us to, to understand that, and we're going talking to be talking about this for a while, but, but, but in this place, what we're talking about today... When we look at uh, chapter 26, uh, as we're talking about the curtain structure and the specifics of the tabernacle, so I'm going to start, I'm going to read through verses 1 through 14, make a few comments and read on. We're going to keep uh, flowing hard. So um, hold on. Here we go. Verse 1. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twine linen. This is, uh, the, the, this is uh, God, this is Elohim talking, uh, uh, talking right now. Uh, To uh, to Moses and and what what things are going to be like, and really explaining to him how to construct. He's the architect, by the way. God is of how this thing is going to look, and so he's telling him exactly what it needs to be. You shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of of fine twine linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns. You shall make them with cherubim skillfully worked into them. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits and the breadth of each curtain four cubits. All the curtains shall be the same size. Verse 3, five curtains shall be coupled to one another and the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another. And you shall make loops of blue on the edge of the outermost curtain in the first set. Likewise, you shall make loops on the edge of the outermost curtain in the second set. Verse 5, 50 loops you shall make on the one curtain and 50 loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is in the second set. The loops shall be opposite one another. And you shall make 50 clasps of gold and couple the curtains one to the other with the clasps so that the tabernacle uh, may be a single whole. Verse 7, you shall also make curtains of goats, goats' hair for a tent over the tabernacle. 11 curtains shall you make. The length of each curtain shall be 30 cubits. And the breadth of each curtain, four cubits. The 11 curtains shall be the same size. You shall couple five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves. And the sixth curtain, you shall double over at the front of the tent. Verse 10, you shall make 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in one set and 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in the second set. At this point, I love that I'm type A because I agree with this brother. (laughs) He knows what he wants. Verse 11. You shall make 50 clasps of bronze and put the clasps into the loops and couple the tent together that it may be a single whole. And the part that remains of the curtains of the tent, the half curtain that remains shall hang over the back of the tabernacle and the extra that remains in the length of the curtains, the cubit on the one side and the cubit on the other side shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle on this side and that side to cover it. And you shall make for the tent of covering of tan ram skins and a covering of goat skin on top. So when you think of these curtains, let me explain a few things. First, the dimensions we see there's 45 feet long, 15 feet wide. Uh, If you think about it, in a nutshell, uh, that's actually pretty small. Okay, it's a pretty small area of... When you think about what God was doing for for millions of Israel, for the point of of serving uh, millions of people for the children of Israel. And also, I want you to notice, notice how nomadic the framework is, okay? Um, That the covering reminds us actually of a a nomad's home, uh, the things that they're using. Now, if you look at this here, they have it uh, layered just so you can see what's happening, but... Uh, where did I do my little thing here? There it is. So this is beautiful because uh, here and then also when you looked at the main court and also here, the first linen, the, the, the fine linen that they talked about, uh, you're talking like 10 sheets all put together. And then they wove, within it they wove uh, like cherubims, okay? And, as you, and that's, a, that's a beautiful thing. We'll talk about that, why they did that in a, in a moment. And then you had your goat's hair and then you had ram skins that they had dyed red, and these are all on top of each other, okay? And, and then you had the, well, this says badger skin, but the Hebrew word, they, we don't even know what it is. Some people think it's like a porpoise. They just know it was a really ugly animal. And, um, and, that, and, that, and that what it did was it, it was a, a protection. And then actually, we'll talk in a moment, that the, the curtain that, that was in, within here, uh, because it was covered the holy of holies, uh, you had this curtain, to get into the holy place, and then you had a curtain in here that was covered The holy of holies, was four inches thick. Can you imagine? Four inches thick, okay? Um, so they're sewn together. You see all these things happening, and I'm convinced here that God was trying to have his people consider a few things when thinking about this tabernacle, was thinking about the, the curtains and what he was doing. First, um, there's this issue of awe, um, an issue of, of God's humility, and, I, and I'm being a little academic about this because I want us just to pause and just consider this. Think about it from the perspective of, of a first century Jew, if you will, or a Hebrew of antiquity who's actually going through this journey with the Lord and, and seeing all this happen right before their eyes, okay? So you have God's humility, you have, here's his people. They, they don't have a land, okay? They don't have a place that they can call home. Uh, as it were, they're campers. Right, They're walking around, just kind of figuring out where we're going to lay our head today. And, and that's the people. And here's God saying, you know what? I'm watching you, and I'm watching you be wanderers. I'm watching you not have a place to lay your head. I'm watching you be a camper. Guess what I'm going to do? Let me camp with you. Now think about that. Let me dwell with you. Let me, let me come down and be with you. Um." I, I guys, I, as, I don't, as your bro, I don't think this is just um, God just doing something just theological, like, hey, I'm going to do this thing, so I'll make a point. I actually believe what's so beautiful about this is this actually gets to the heart of who God is, that God, um, and I don't want to be sacrilegious for my reformers, like I understand the, the you know, the incomprehensible, uh, the how, how incomprehensible God is, like we can't comprehend him and all these things, but I'm proposing that God is a humble God. That he's that he's humble in essence, like that's part of who he is, and um, I think we have Matthew eleven thirty up here. If we can put it up, I don't know if we, do we have a Matthew eleven thirty up here, so we can read it. No, it's not on there. Uh, let me get my Bible real quick. I just want to read it to you. Very very famous passage, but you know what? It means something to me as I. As I look at this text, it, just, it, it matters to me a little more than usual. When Jesus says, the famous passage in verse uh, 29, verses 30, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest from your souls. Check it out. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know that? I love what he says there. He says, For I am gentle and lowly in heart. You know what a lot of pastors say? I am humble. I am humble. I bring this up because you talk about dwelling in an earthly tent. And you think of the fact that, man, sometimes um, we, we all love, you know, say if you're in a hospital, we love people to, to say, you know, hey, I'll come, I'll come visit. And we go, no, 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 it's okay, right? And, and we're okay when people call and say, hey, I wish you well. Uh, we're okay when people send you a note, right? We're okay when that happens. You hurt yourself, someone sends you a note. We, we, we're cool with that. Somebody calls you. They call you for your birthday. We love that. That's cool, right? But can we all be honest? There's something that's very deep. There's something that really ministers to your soul. When you're laid up in a hospital, you're hurt at home, even your birthday, and someone comes to the hospital, and they sit with you, and you fall asleep, And then you wake up, and they're doing their homework right by your bedside. And then you fall asleep, and you wake up, and they say, hey, I brought you a hoagie. I brought you a sandwich, right? Right? Can we be honest that although we say, oh, you don't have to do that, when people come, and they are with you in your stuff, right? Doesn't that mean something a little more special? Isn't it? That, that just when, someone, when someone's in the battlefield with you, when, when they're in it with you, it, it does something else? Right? You know, I'm a man. I know you guys I know Kevin Brennan. Uh, you guys know him from a professional level. Uh, that aside, I want you to know uh, this man loves the Lord. And a cool thing uh, you, I don't know if you guys know, his, his wife has uh, multiple sclerosis. Did you guys know that? I don't know if you guys knew that. Have you ever seen him? Have you, ever, have you met his wife? I don't know if you met his wife. Um, beautiful lady. Uh, she's, you know, she, uh, I, I, this is an example for me personally. And as a preacher, I always tell you, give examples that are closer to home. I know you guys don't really know this journey, but I hope it ministers to you. I, I remember seeing him at a Home Depot once. Uh, it was two years ago. And, you know, we, we, we knew her, and she, she, we saw her when she was walking, all of a sudden, I see her at Home Depot with her husband, and, you know, he's pushing her because she can't walk anymore. And I remember this man, I just remember getting really emotional, you know, because I watched him, I saw him, and he was super unapologetic, you know, this is boo, you know, he wasn't like, oh, and he wasn't apologetic, this is my girl, and she's, she's, she has a disease, and that's what's up, I got to take care of my boo. It was just like that, <laughs> you know, and I'm looking at him, and I'm just like, man, and now, you know, we talked, you know, and now, you know, basically she can't, you know, they have to care for her in, in every way, um, in, in bathroom use and all those things. And, and uh, you know, I just thought to myself, like, um, uh, I think of if, if, if I can cousin that to great-grandma Griffin, you know, watching Sarah's mom, you know, uh, not just say, I hope you get better, you know, but, but, man, moved her into the house and cared for her. And, and let me ask you a question. And we know great-grandma, great-grandma Griffin, though, right? We know her but her mom really knows her, right? There's something about when you dwell with someone, when you're in it with someone, I think there's some things that God is trying to say that I know you. Not just intellectually, but I know you. This is important. This is important because, you know, we think of our journey, we think of our of our life in the Lord. And some of us need this today. Some of us are feeling like, man, you know, I'm struggling. You know, there's relationship issues. You know, we, some of us are, are hurting spiritually right now. Some of us have things in our life where we feel like I should get something and it's not happening. There's so many stories in this room right now. Some of us are, are deeply hurting. Some of us are tired. Sometimes some of us are wondering, man, how could a cop beautiful, all-powerful God really know? How could he, is he really here? Is he, is he really? Like, does he know how hard this hurts? Is he in my stuff? See, I'm proposing, family. I'm, I'm thinking one of the things that God wanted us to understand, even through this perspective of the tabernacle in my own life as I walk with the Lord, as Eric, I'm not just here, I am with you. I am in it with you. I am with you. I've come down to tabernacle to be with you to dwell. And you know what? What I love about that is it doesn't stop there. I love that that what he does with the Israelites is a mere foreshadowing. I love the fact that God does that with these Israelites and says, "You, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm the King of Kings." And I love that what God does, he makes things gold and makes it kind of more pretty than theirs, and yet it still is an absolute, ridiculously exponential downgrade. You think God is like, well, I'm glad, at least I got gold. This God. You know what I'm saying? He comes and he says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to set up, and I'm going to be in a little old box. Okay? Just to show you that I'm with you. I get it. And then... He sends his son Jesus. And he said, so, so, not, so not, as you read the Gospels, remember, you see Jesus, like, oh, God came to dwell with us. You hear that? But it's not like the first time. See, what God is trying to show you is Jesus is fulfilling something that God was already committed to and already doing, and that is dwelling with his people. He's always been dwelling. But then he says, I'm going to do something even more powerful. I'm going to send the God-man Jesus to dwell with you, and then I'm going to do something even crazier. Jesus is going to dwell with you. He's going to God himself. is going to be walking with you, eating with you, talking with you, doing miracles, training you, doing all those things. Then the Savior's going to die and be murdered, rise from the dead. And then he says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to do something even crazier. I'm not going to just be with you. I'm going to be in you. Do you hear that? Do you see what God was trying to do all that time? And so now as a believer, think about that. God himself tabernacles in you. Think about what God is trying to say to you right now, believer. Why do you feel like you are not a conqueror when God dwells in you? Why do you and I doubt When God says, I am not just with you, but I am in you. The same Holy Spirit that rose the Savior from the dead, God Himself. He's trying to teach us something here, guys. He's trying to teach us something by by, by a building that they made. This is what Scripture says in John 14, 17. He says, I'll be. Not just with you, but in you. You know, another thing he's trying to teach us, I think this issue of refuge. We need to know, I think we want to have refuge. It talks about it all the time in the scriptures. You know, you think of the tent, and you think of uh, all these things you see that's happening. Uh, you know, you look at the, the different, uh, you know, the linen, the goat's hair, the ram skin, all these things. And, and what they're for is to protect, right? They're to protect. And so you're in a desert. Now, I've never been in, a, in a, just a straight-up desert, I mean, close as I got to it, I've I've been in some close places, but not a desert. Okay? And I'll tell you, historically, this gets really hot and then really cold. Don't get it twisted, right? You think it's just hot the whole time. No, it gets really cold in the desert, too. And and so this was to protect you from the elements. But guess what? God was trying to communicate to his people something when he provided a shelter, as it were, for the Almighty. And for the people of God to come in, right? So now when it was the elements and it was a crazy hot of the day and they would come in and it was, was this, pitter, this picture of, a, of refuge. And if you don't believe me, I mean, think of all, like, as, you, as you're right now just doing your Bible, you know, gymnastics and you're thinking of passages in the scriptures, think of all the different passages that talks about him being our refuge, our, our shadow, our shade, as it were, right? I want to propose, and you think of Psalm, uh, you can write this down, Psalm 91, uh, verse one and two speaks of this. I don't know if it's, if it's up there or not. But um, I want to propose this makes sense for a wandering people, <laughs> a desert people, to have a place, a refuge. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God and whom I trust. That kind of language is just plastered. It's just, it's just plastered throughout the Psalms. The sense of God being your comfort, co- covering you. That's why people talk about, man, would you cover me in prayer? Be my covering. That's just, that's just refuge language that God does something. He protects his people. Don't we need that? Don't you just sometimes just feel like, man, I just, I just want to feel protected. I want to feel like I can go into this world and know that my God has got me. That, man, there's a protection over me. And although the world tries to beat me up and people try to lie, and, and then I look at those things that seem to, to, to want me and want my attention, and I go, Lord, would you comfort me? Would you be my shelter? Would you be my, my refuge? See, when, they, when, he, when he built this thing and he walked in there, God was trying to teach them something. He's trying to teach us something about who he is, guys, and who you are as his people. Being a conqueror and being his people is this not mere talk for the Lord. And check this out. So he wants to teach us that, man, I, I dwell. I'm, I'm your refuge. Then he says, you know, this sense of I propose this whole concept of, of the holy of holies. I just think it's crazy. Um, imagine this. You, go, you think about the inapproachability of God. I don't know if you've ever heard that. This, this, um, this concept that God is holy. Imagine you go into the, and I know I'm taking a lot of time. I might have to pause and finish it next week too, guys. Um, imagine this. You're out, you're in the courts, you're in the outer courts, okay? Now, all around out of courts, you know, there's, there's white linen just to remind you, hey, you're in a different place now, bruh. Just to remind you, you're not, you're not a priest, but you are God's people, so now you're like, okay, cool. Now you're a priest. Then you go, and you've been, you know, you, you're, you're getting this theology. is, You know what's going on. You know who Yahweh is. You, you, you're understanding Elohim. And then you, you go into the, uh, the holy place, and you wash, you know, and you're, and you're, you're kind of captured by the reality. You're, the the, the sobriety is kind of hitting you a little more and more. It's almost, you know, I'm trying to, you know, we, we've become kind of atraditional. And so we don't have like, a, there's not a lot of icons in here to remind you that this is a holy place. All right, don't get it twisted. Sunday at 10, Waldorf gets holy. Okay? So you're walking in, you're like, okay, I see the brazen, you see the altar, and you're like, oh, okay. So, you know, mind trying to like, they cooking stuff right here. It's a serious business. You see the, you see the wash, you wash your hands. Okay. And now you go in and now you see the altar and the showbread and you're like, man, okay, this is serious business. Now, this is what kills me. Think about it. The only light, think of all the covering right now. It's dark. Okay. The only light is the golden lampstand. It's the only light. Okay. Now, once a year, Someone, the high priest, has to go into the Holy of Holies. Guess what, guys? Guess what's in the Holy of Holies? The Ark of the Covenant, the very presence of God. Guess what's sealing it? A four inch curtain. Okay? Now, guess what's in the Holy of Holies? Nothing but God. Nothing but God. No light. Bitch black. Imagine that. You the high priest going on in there. (laughs) Right? I mean, right? It's kind of funny because now you're thinking about it. You're like, yeah, that would be freaky. Right? You're thinking that. Think about it. I mean, have you ever been, see, you think you've been in a dark place. We haven't experienced darkness in America. Even when the lights go out, there's still little lights here. And, you know, there's still little trinkets of light. We had one time where I experienced like pitch black, and it was the scariest moment. You know what I'm talking about, baby. We were in Africa. Can I share this? We were in Africa, and they have load shedding. If you know what that is, that means they don't have enough money to keep the power on all day. So every once in a while, all the power goes, the whole grid goes black. The whole grid, y'all. Pitch black. So Sarah and I are walking. I don't know why we were, we were coming from dinner or something going to share in a crib or leaving their house, we're walking, and I'm not, it was, we couldn't see a thing. And we're walking like, okay, Lord, like, what are we doing? Why are we in the middle? I mean, pitch black. All of a sudden, we hear, and we hear, Arr-r-r-r-r-r-r-r. I'm like, oh, my goodness. What do we do? I mean, coming toward us. And so Sarah's freaking out. I'm freaking out, but I'm the man. So I'm like, okay, I got I to man up. I got to man up. So I grab, you know, pastor, but hey, I'm in Africa. I don't know what's going on. I got my switchblade. Put put, put my knife out. Don't think about why I got a knife. That's a whole other discussion. You know what I'm saying? Hey, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Do what I got to do. So I don't know what's coming, and I'm thinking, I'm about to die. If only I could save my wife. And I remember just putting her behind me and just thinking, all right, Lord, because you literally didn't even know what was coming. And... (laughs) And ran past us. And I guess some dogs are fighting. Some, we don't know what happened to this day. But we were like, it was an out-of-body experience. <laughs> we were just like, Lord, we are alive. Here's what God is trying to communicate. Think about this. Don't miss this. God, apart from Jesus, is absolutely inapproachable. And he wanted to remind the people of Israel and even the high priest that you need to tremble in your boots when you walk into a place that is dark and you know the only other person in there is God. What you going to do now? They had to do that every year. The inapproachability of Christ. to sacrifice. The atonement. The, per, the, the, one, uh, the question was, why do they go in there? Once a year, they made an atonement for all the people. And so imagine you got the sins of the people, and you're going in foul to meet a holy God, knowing there's no reason he should not totally destroy you. You better wonder, the only reason is you got to trust in his word, that he's provided that way. Why do I bring that up? Think about that. Pitch black. Here's what I got to do. It's 1150-something. I'm going to pause, okay? And I'm going to continue next week, all right? But what I want you to understand something. Think about that reality of the inapproachability of of God, and then I want to take you somewhere. I'm going to take you to a beautiful passage If you can go with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. See that? Does that mean something a little more to you now? When you see God saying, I tore a four-inch curtain down, and now the very place that was totally dark, unapproachable, you can enter into boldly. Think about that. This is God saying, I am showing you how committed I am to this relationship, this intimacy, the vulnerability of my name, to let, welcome you into the very presence, the intimate reality of God himself in Christ. But here's the cool thing, and here's the thing that we all need to just be humbled about. I'm blown away that these guys did this for hundreds of years, and you're talking 1,500 years from then to Jesus, that reality. And you know what it shows me? As rich of a tradition that my Jewish brothers and sisters had who know Jesus now, as rich of a tradition it is, without Christ, all those years are without hope. I don't care how rich your tradition is, how long it goes, Christ says, man, without him, there's no hope. That's why we gather here every Sunday. That's why we fellowship. That's why you give worship to Jesus. Because what he's done, he's become your sacrifice. Right? He's become your high priest. We'll talk about that more next week. I pray you'll be encouraged. I'm leaving a little messy, taking a risk here. Let's respond in worship. I think the response is, man, if you think about a holy guy, your life should change. He's holy. He makes you a son and daughter. My prayer is that your life, the way you look at life, will change. We do tithe and offering as a local body. Again, I'm leaving us hanging a little bit. I pray as you would read the rest of the passage. We're going to go back. We're going to go through it next week, and we're going to keep flowing, okay? Okay. Um, respond in worship as we do tithe and offering. We ask you to not to give us your money. You know that's not our deal, but we, we want you to worship. We want you to worship God. And one of the ways we can do that is we go, God, you've given us everything. Here is our response. That's what we're doing.